Hello, this is Get Up and Grow Girl, a podcast for ambitious go-getters who just want to be their best damn selves. We have all the tools and together we're going to learn how to use them because I'm going to speak to a variety of experts in fitness, business, mindset and more because successful people are made and not born. So get up and grow, girl. Guys, if you are trying to get back in the gym, you're trying to get fit and specifically you're trying to do that by lifting weights, I have something just for you. So often I see people having the best intentions, coming to the gym, consistently eating right and just not seeing results. And it's so frustrating because of course, why would you stick with it if you're not getting anything out of it? And usually this comes down to just a few little mistakes that the average person just doesn't know. And so I wanted to change this and I put all of this information into a free handbook in the hope that this will make a difference that you are missing out on right now. To get this book, all you have to do is head to the link. It's completely free. And that link is leelajasminesoule.com forward slash training score handbook. Again, that's leelajasminesoule.com forward slash training slash handbook. Good morning, guys. Welcome back to Get Up and Grow Girl. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Ashley Staines, who is the founder of Double Tap which is a new app, which I'll let him tell you about in a sec when we get into the episode. But I just wanted to preface this episode by letting you know that it's a very multifaceted one. We talk about everything from business and strategy and minimizing risk to fitness and daily routines and and sort of how you can work on your productivity. So let's get straight into it. Hi guys, welcome back to Get Up and Grow Girl. Today I'm here with Ashley Staines who is the founder of an app called Double Tap. Ashley, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi guys, my name's Ash. Um, Yeah, I founded Double Tap in April of 2018, and before that I worked for like five, six years in finance. On the side, I also like to do, I'm fairly fitness-focused, as Leela Leela knows as well, so that's kind of, that's me in a nutshell, I guess. Double whammy. Double whammy, yeah. So maybe you could start at the beginning before we get into Double Tap, Mm -hmm. because I think that's quite interesting how you got to be here. And just do like a little run through of your career history. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, at school, I wasn't always the best, should we say. Um, actually, I think that's kind of been a big part of making me who I am. So at school, um, I kind of didn't get the A-levels I needed. And um, and obviously a bit of disappointment from my side, family side, all that sort of things. But I think it was that. It was the realisation that I need to back my ideas up. And... Um, and it was then that I kind of decided, right, I want to go into the world of finance. I like how it's fast-paced, well-driven, things like that. But obviously, I didn't have the A-levels to do so. So the only way I could do it was kind of make sculpt a slightly new path for myself and basically kind of be so persistent that, that I would just eventually get there. And to be fair, fortunately for me, it was exactly that. I kind of... I must have, you know, I've spoken to people who are applying from university and stuff now and they're like, you know, I've got three rejections or whatever it is. So people are aware I got upwards of 35 rejections straight off the bat, right? (laughs) And so when, you know, when I talk to people and they're kind of like, oh, I I struggle because, you know, I got rejected here, whatever it is. Yeah, I got rejected from everywhere. 
the only place that came back to me, ironically, was the one place that I ended up, which was Goldman Sachs. So, um, you know, I kind of almost had a pretty early glimpse into what perseverance can do and that, you know, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again, right? Yeah. So that was the, that was um, how I ended up in working for Goldman Sachs straight after university. Um, great place to work. You're kind of surrounded by driven people. So you can't help but kind of get that through osmosis, shall we say, right? When you're surrounded by people that are getting up, you know, at 4 a.m. to practice for their marathons, Sahara Desert, and I'm not even kidding you, these are the types of people that are around there. They do the, like, ultra marathons and, they train for that, even though they're doing 12 hours a day at work. So, so they do it all because they, they kind do of think it like all. you become, there's a stereotype that if you're working in the city, that you just become, you live and breathe that. And that like fitness, healthy lifestyle, anything else goes out the window. Is well, really... it's funny you say that actually. So there's, there, there's sort of different cohorts of people at Goldman Sachs. There are the bankers who quite literally couldn't do any of that stuff, even if they wanted to, because... They work from, you know, when they get in at eight o'clock and they do not leave until sort of two, three in the morning. So those guys, the true bankers, they can't. Now the guys, now there's a two separate cohorts. There's the party side of it who, yeah, they probably don't go and do much fitness and things like that. But what they do with their spare time is they party hard. Yeah. Which in in, in essence is quite, quite commendable in itself when you've got to be back up at five o'clock and you're out, you know, um, schmoozing clients or partying hard or whatever it is till the early hours it's almost quite impressive if you can continue to do that for yeah, a long period of time and then on the other side of it I think is the other people that find other types of hobbies and things so whereas I think your average person may may take a hobby and may just enjoy it or play a bit of golf what I'd say about the average person especially at Goldman where I was at is they don't believe in it as a hobby if they start running they start running so they can run the fastest marathon out with their friends or they yeah they're super everything comes down to competition exactly Um, so tell me about how you went from that sort of lifestyle to deciding that you wanted to go out and be an entrepreneur and start your own thing. Yeah, so I left Goldman um, in, I think, April of 27, yeah, 2017. Um, and so what I did is I moved to a startup hedge fund. So that place was great and terrible in so many ways. And I'll, <laughs> I'll explain why, because it was it really did set the seed for me starting up on my own. So there were three things. Uh, firstly, it was a startup. So you quite literally had to do everything. So there, there was me and one other guy, my boss, and obviously he wanted to do the big stuff, the more exciting things. The talking just two to, of you. Yeah, just two of us. So he'd be out meeting companies, going to conferences across the globe, things like that. Every other aspect of our business was essentially managed by me. So in doing that, I kind of, I got a real scope, broad understanding of how businesses run and, you know, from a legal perspective, from an operations perspective, everything. So firstly, it kind of made me realize that, you know, I am quite good at going out and finding the answers if I need to, and I could probably start doing something on my own. Um, The second thing that it helped for me was um, I got to meet loads of management teams of like, you've probably heard the term unicorn, right? So basically a unicorn at the moment, it's like a Facebook or a Snapchat. It's these, these companies that literally go from nothing to one of the most recognized brands on the planet okay. within the space of a few years. Yeah, so that's a unicorn, basically. And, and um, so I actually got a chance to meet the management because we invested in companies like that. So 
I'd meet the management teams of these companies like Airbnb and stuff like that. And what would be fascinating is once you meet them, you get to hear a lot about the story of the company and their history. And I was just taken aback by how normal these people were. So, you know, many people think the world of entrepreneurs and startups and stuff is filled with people like Steve Jobs, who, you know, or some guy who codes in his mum's basement and is, a, is yeah. some kind of whiz kid, right? But they're not. They're not. They're normal people who might have a good idea. The only difference that sets them apart is, you know, is a few factors. And I think it's a risk factor. It's being not averse to risk. Mm -hmm. So which leads me nicely onto my third and final point, which being at the startup hedge fund kind of helped drive me towards what I'm doing now is um, I was miserable. So you hear a lot about entrepreneurs becoming entrepreneurs just through necessity, right? If they started up a little, they started buying something and then selling it a little bit more expensive on a street or something. Sometimes you hear of these entrepreneurs that start in that way. And it's because they just needed to put food on the table or something like that, um, that, that would kind of drove them to actually start that entrepreneurial spirit. Now, mine was not anywhere near that level of extremity, right? But what it was, was it kind of got me to a point where I was so miserable in my current job I had two choices. I had either go find another job, which I'd done plenty of this stuff before now, and I was kind of like a little bit bored of it, should we say, or alternatively, go do something yourself. Go do something you're passionate about. So I was kind of forced into a corner, and it's the only reason I had the bravery, the courage to actually go out and do something myself, because up to that point, I had enough ideas at Goldman you know, to write a book about but I never pursued a single one of them. Why? Okay. Because I was relatively comfortable and happy, should we say. Okay, because that was going to be my next question, mm -hmm. was did you leave and decide you wanted to start a business because you had an entrepreneurial vibe mm -hmm. within you mm -hmm. or you had a cause, like a purpose, as in the business idea that forced you to be an entrepreneur? Yeah. But you'd always sort of had that sense of coming up with ideas and exactly. being an innovator. Well, it's funny... It's funny because what I had always thought throughout my life, so I'd, I'd always had an aspect of an entrepreneurial vibe. So, for example, you used to there used to be these little footballers called power pods. You used to get them in a chocolate, right? They were big in my school, okay? I know it's a bit random. All Pokemon cards, that's the more universally okay, recognized yeah. term. So what me, were, me and my best friend Dan would do is we would literally trade Pokemon cards for money. And so we try and buy them off one person and sell them for a higher price to another person, yeah. whatever it would be. So we always had that in us, the pair of us. Now, the problem is, I always felt most of it was Dan pushing it, and I would just follow and be there as support, should we say. So all of my life, I always thought Dan would do something, and it would give me the courage to then jump with him, should we say. Okay. Now, ironically, when I had the idea and went to Dan, he was in a position where he didn't have the courage to jump. So I guess an interesting point here is that like sometimes you might be waiting for a catalyst that never comes, right? And if yeah. it's waiting for a friend to do something and then you'll jump on board with him, you know, you could be waiting forever. That's such a good point because I was going to, a lot of people ask when they ask questions on the podcast, when is the right time for me to go freelance or to start my business venture? And I kind of don't believe that there is, the per there's never going to be a perfect time in my opinion mm -hmm. and this is something a conclusion that me and my co-host Bernadette on the other segment came to is that you'll always be waiting if you set yourself these limitations of something that needs to be in place before you take the next step and I think that's a good example of that with what you said with your friend 
so are you sort of suggesting that the difference is just decision making just deciding I'm going to do it rather than a little bit yeah I do now it's it's funny because there's there's kind of it there could be two schools of thought right mm-hmm. is that a lot of people suggest they call it a side hustle right so if you are at a job that you're not happy about don't just up and quit necessarily okay if you think there is something that you could potentially pursue an idea that you could start even if it's going to meet people after work to speak about it or whatever it might be or or if it is personal training that you might want to decide to go into well test test the markets we say check with your friends does anyone want you to train them go and do it after work do it free whatever it is so there is a there is a big school of thought which is work on a side hustle first before you make that leap yeah. because it kind of it gives you that extra courage and stability to know that you have got something there to lean on when you do go because I guarantee you guys when you first make that call there's a couple of days honeymoon where you feel super pumped about it and then there is ultimate panic now if you don't have anything to fall back on at that point of panic it could turn you know quite quite tricky for you so that's why i'd say potentially side hustle but equally when you do make that jump really commit to that jump you know what i mean because i think that's the other thing is people dip their toes in things and the problem with a side hustle, so I know everyone pushes this side hustle as a piece to get that boiling before you then go and leave yeah. your current job. But the problem with a side hustle is if you haven't got the mind frame like we were speaking about, you're always looking for the perfect time. Yeah. If you haven't got the right mind frame to actually take the leap at some stage, it will always just stay up side hustle. Right? Yeah, exactly. I think you have to know yourself and know the type of person you are because probably it can work for some people. But I think in a sense, you can always have one foot in and one foot out mm, absolutely. because you are physically keeping both your options open so an element of you is not fully committed mm-hmm. which obviously we all have bills to pay and so on but there is something to be said and it's not for everyone about like what you did having your back against the wall there's mm. a certain level of you just have to make it work because otherwise you're not going to eat or whatever it is mm. so that's personally kind of what I did that PT was a side hustle for ages never intending to become the full thing. But then once I decided I was going to go freelance, I probably wasn't ready to start paying rent or whatever to the gym. But I just jumped because I thought if I jump, I'm going to have to make it work. Mm. Otherwise, there's, I'm never going to be like, oh, yeah, I've got enough money now that I don't mind giving away X amount. You're always going to – that bar keeps moving, Yeah, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe now is a nice time to tell everyone about – what you did go and do yeah of course um right so i guess the best what the way i talk to people about it is i first say what our mission statement is but then i'll go and tell you kind of how everything came about so our mission is essentially to give every business the ability to use word of mouth marketing in a modern day setting which is essentially social media so (laughs) um i think the way it kind of came about and i think it's good to always describe how your ideas came about because other people you may well be on almost onto something but there's a certain mind frame you have to get into like a problem solving mind frame that if you're constantly trying to solve these little problems for yourself in your own head before you know it you can kind of almost stumble across something in in essence right so what for me it was almost like the solution hit me in the face so I was kind of just sat around so often finding myself messaging people on social media saying like um 
hey mate, where did you get those trainers from? Or but this this bar looked incredible. Where is it? Right? I'm sure we've all been in that situation where you see someone's stories or someone's post and they're like, that is a really cool bar. Like it looks so funky. I'm really intrigued about it. I'd love to go there sometime, right? So I was kind of hit by the amount of times I was doing this and I was like, well, I wonder if there is a way that you can kind of monetize this and make it, you know, make it grow and make it expand and stuff like that. You know, is this a problem for businesses potentially that they're trying to get people posting about themselves on social media? And absolutely it is, you know, I'm sure we've all seen it before people, businesses saying, you know, comment with all your friends on this picture or something like that, right. To try and get that added exposure. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, so I kind of then did, for January through April, did treat it as a side hustle. I I didn't jump the minute I had a sort of light bulb moment, go hand in my notice and then go. I spent the evenings researching it, talking to businesses, meeting up with businesses, finding out if there was a need, putting surveys together and sending out to potential users, things like that. So I kind of got to a point where I was quite comfortable that I was potentially onto something um, before I actually went and did it. So what we actually then what we came up with in the end was it's a platform where uh, it's a rewards based platform where businesses will offer rewards on my platform. And the only way to gain these rewards is for users to post on Instagram about that business, fulfilling certain criteria, right? So it might be say, for example, if we got Starbucks on Starbucks might require that you post a picture about Starbucks on of your Starbucks coffee, whatever it might be to give them the exposure that they need. Um, hashtag coffee and then tag Starbucks London or whatever it might be. Okay. And then in, in, um, in exchange, you'll get a credit for a free coffee the next day. So that's essentially the idea. The business on one hand gets exposure, brand recognition, customer loyalty. And then on the flip side, you know, users get what they're looking for, which is free stuff and, cheap discounts and stuff like that so that is that is double tap in a nutshell Uh, I feel like it's almost democratizing the sort of Instagram um influencer sort of game yeah and making it accessible to more people and everyone sort of has their place in that pyramid of micro influencer and then Mm. normal person who just wants to try products and be rewarded for still giving marketing back exactly because I think Obviously, influencers are fully aware of their value, right, to a brand. They know it now because there's a, there's a there's an actual cash figure on it, right? They might do four hundred quid for a post or something, right? Whereas your average Joe doesn't necessarily realise how valuable that that post could potentially be to another business. You know, you're actually just posting it because you want your friends to know what you're up to and you want to sort of document your day and your lifestyle. Yeah. Now, what I'm saying is, don't change your behaviour here. But quite frankly, brands should be giving you something on the back of this. Yeah, so, so it's a win-win. It's a win-win. It's a win-win, exactly. I also think what you said about um, when you were from January to April and you were still with your startup, mm-hmm. that's like a good point to come back to, which is that when we spoke about you can either jump or mm-hmm. you can have a side hustle, I think there's a clear distinction there that you don't want to jump without knowing that you've got something worth pursuing. Yes. Obviously, that bit is, is important. So how did you, if we go a little bit practical, mm-hmm. um, how did you, you've got a seed of an idea, how did you go about actually seeing what you could do with that? Because I think when you first have an idea, it's really hard to even know what step one is mm-hmm. in terms of how do I know if this is 
ever going to be anything or how would I make it anything? Mm-hmm. So is there any things you did, like practical things in terms of what type of research you did that you could share? Yeah, well, actually, I think I made a mistake, if I'm honest. So I tell you what I would have done. So if there okay. is somebody in a similar situation, here is my example of what I would have done. I would have found a coffee shop or something like that, a friendly coffee shop that was willing for me to take over their Instagram account, right, which the, most of them would do because they're probably not really pushing. They've got 800 followers. They're mainly friends and family. They're not really pushing this thing. You know, you're a friendly face. You come and explain this idea you've okay. come up with and you want to test it. Yeah. So you say, look, I'll create some flyers and stuff. Um, I'll take over your your Instagram account. I'll be in the coffee shop and I'll talk to some of your customers and say, look, guys, we're giving away free coffees if you post about it on Instagram. So what we can then do is very from a very manual perspective, you can kind of test that market in a small micro environment, yeah. should we say, right? And you could do that Saturdays, right? You could do that Saturdays or if it's a bar, you could do it in the evenings or whatever it is. And you can do that without ever having to step away from your actual day job. Yeah. And what you've done there is you've kind of got, and it would be the point after that in my head that that gives you the confidence to leave. Now, what is the point you should leave? It's when you're not achieving much on the side hustle because you are inhibited by what you have to do on your day job. Okay. So now if I'm honest, for most people don't realize there are 24 hours in a day. If you're really working nine to five, right and even if you want to go gym okay go to the gym beforehand right then you can still after work you still have a big chunk of time which you could meet with people you could go do other things you could research you could type out business plans you can do so much but because a lot of people you know i just think that potentially people think oh well that's my time to just chill and watch tv or whatever as well then maybe it's not you're not cut out for it right so passion isn't there the passion isn't there and for me because i was working 16 16 hour days plus it, that that came very quickly right yeah. because I only had like an hour or two a day that I could fire into this thing realistically and so it got quite quickly to the point of well you know I'm trying to type out a 40 page business plan for investors and I'm trying to do this and that and I'm getting nowhere with it because I can only put in a couple hours a day maximum yeah. so mine was sort of fast forward and I had to kind of leave my job fairly quickly because I just wasn't able to squeeze. Yeah, it wasn't sustainable, exactly. And that idea with the coffee shop, that's yeah. not what you did, but what you would do That now. is not what I did. Okay, so I'm going to ask you in a sec what you actually used to do, <laughs> if you're willing to share. Yeah, of but course. what I think about that is, are you aware of the lean startup? The book? Absolutely. Yeah, so that's, that sounds exactly like that, that for anyone that doesn't know, it's like the minimum viable product type thing, like testing exactly. what you've got as it is now, and then gradually building on that rather than trying to wait till everything again is perfect launching something and you might have invested money time and then there's something wrong with it that you don't know because your customer didn't get a chance to tell you yeah so I think that's a a really good example and a good point that we should just put the focus on um for for whatever you're doing there's always a way you can kind of test it before you and I think, you know, anybody who is even considering doing something, this lean start is a must. So I hadn't read that book before, which mm-hmm. I am, because you're right, I've taken that straight out there. That's not my, you know, I mean, genius idea. Theory, it is a business, yeah. business theory. And I've applied that as well to, so for example, now my parent, my mum and sister, 
they want to do something and they wanted to do something last year or the year before it. And basically what it is, is they had seen these really cool little ponchos for little children, right? They said, there's a couple of things they'd seen these cooler items. They didn't have, couldn't find them anywhere. It was like a one-off stall in Spain or something that they managed to get them from. And they, they got so many compliments from all of her friends and things like that and people at Isabella's school that this poncho was amazing. If only they could find one, right? And suddenly it dawned on them, you know, maybe, why not, right? And Tash has some great style. She's got a good eye for things. So, you know, she could well move into like a kid's clothing sort of space. Yeah. Now, the problem is, what did they go and do? They went and bought £10,000 worth of material. Right, which is hilarious because if anyone has lit red lean startup, you're sat there probably <laughs> screaming, pulling your hair out, like, "What are you doing?" Right? What is the alternative? And I, what I've told them, you know, if they because the problem is that put that was enough to sort of scare them into what have we done? We made a mistake, and they haven't touched the business idea pretty much since. So what should they have done? They should have got enough material to make three ponchos. Made my mum can sew. Make them up yourself. Go and try and sell them to your friends. Definitely. Your friends will get demand and questions where they came from. And before you know it, you have demand for another 10. Okay, so then you try and fulfill those orders. And then it's the, it's at the point where, you know, and that is the lean startup motto is it's sort of like, it's, well, I can't remember what the term is, but it's essentially getting to a point where you can learn quickly, right? Yeah. You can learn quickly at the lowest cost possible. So in my example, with a coffee shop, I spend absolutely no money. What I did do is I spent a lot of money getting a product made to test that, Yeah. right? When actually I was still going into the same coffee shop I would have spoken to anyway. But this time, yes, I was able to show that I've got an app and a yeah. platform. But really, I kind of got the same learning. But I would have got the same learning for, God, I don't want to say, but X amount of dollars less than I got yeah. it for in, in reality. I think that's something that sometimes it's like an internal battle as well, that you have to... I don't know whether to say ego thing, but I felt like this when I started a business in the past that you almost want to look professional so much and you want to you want to be taken seriously mm -hmm. that you would rather invest the money and whatever just to look a certain way when, like you say, the result can be the same. And in terms of your sister and your, your mum's business idea, I sort of had that with um, my, my startup, my fashion startup, where... I made a few jackets and they were obviously so much more expensive to make in the UK by a friend, a seamstress, rather than like a factory yeah. where they would make a thousand or ten thousand. Um, but so at the time I was thinking, oh, I could do this much better if I just jumped and like had all the money from an investor and just did it. But through doing that, I realized, oh, maybe there's like there was not certain market in certain mm -hmm. places where I thought. And also you can change a lot when you actually start running a business and you realize whether it's for you or not, or you just, you might invest all of that time and money to then realize that it's not even the right thing mm. that you want to do. Mm -hmm. So I think with service-based businesses, maybe the coffee shop idea and stuff, you can do it completely free, but when yeah. it comes to fashion, no, you, can't. It, you can't, but even the cost that you do put into it, which is more per unit is still, worth doing as opposed to the hundreds of thousands that you can put in if you start buying bulk yeah, yeah exactly so, and in this in the fashion space for example right so say you did the, again you took the example where they bought ten thousand pounds worth of material right and they haven't even got any labor yet to get this thing designed put together whatever it is they'd still be better off having produced 
three different designs, whether each design cost them, I don't know, front to back 300 pounds, they only sold it for 50, it doesn't matter. Because yes, a real business, once you get the supply chains and everything in line, you could bring the cost down to 20, 30 pounds or something. But what you've done there is you've tested the market and you've just checked that there is some kind of demand for this product before you go. And and it's cost you, what, if you sold each at a 250 pound loss, then you've cost you 750 pounds as opposed to 10,000 pounds plus on a load of material that you don't even know, (laughs) you know what I mean? Yeah, plus storage space. Yeah, yes, exactly, (laughs) exactly. So I think you've kind of touched on it, but maybe you could share your most important lesson so far on your journey of maybe your whole career or maybe just since going out on your own Mm -hmm. in terms of this entrepreneurial side but something that you've learned that perhaps other people can then learn through you yeah I think two things really is um it's kind of a cliche one but it's a well-known fact that kind of resilient people will make the best entrepreneurs I will be very upfront and say that I am actually not the most resilient in some spaces. So I am resilient and very determined in my mannerism and the way I go about things. But when I say resilient, it's taking a knock and kind of bouncing back from that, right? Because no entrepreneurial journey is going to be free of knocks and it's gonna you're suddenly just gonna explode and become the next big thing, right? You're gonna receive a million and one knocks. So the best thing, and sometimes the good thing is to kind of remind yourself of other people's journeys because you think, you see Airbnb and you assume, you don't know the history behind it and you assume it was amazing from the outset. Yeah. They had six months with one user on. Yeah, something really? like that. Is that, I can't, is that public Something, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's in one of these books, six, three to six months where they had like one person who was advertising their, their flat or something on that platform I think it was I mean again I the actual specifics of that you know I I was told by somebody else but it's kind of it whether that one was true or not it kind of it reiterates to you sometimes that you have to don't just look at something on the surface and expect that they they were incredible right most people you know had to do so much to get to where they were so remind yourself of that but then when you do get knocks, you've got to somehow find a way to be resilient about them because they're going to come. So resilience is one, something I'm working on myself. And then the other one is kind of, is a network side of things, right? Um, and again, this kind of comes very naturally to some and not with others. But as an entrepreneur, if you don't have that skill, you've got to somehow make it, right? So if you're not the most sociable, force yourself into some of these sociable environments, force yourself to go to some of these drinking events or whatever it is in the evening because networking is so incredible because this person knows this person who knows this person before you know it our world is so heavily interconnected that you're only three connections away from somebody who could be your next business partner or two connections away from your next biggest client or something like that who you get put in with because you know someone who knows someone yeah so you know a lot of people always say it's not what you know it's who you know uh, in, in so many ways it is right it is right you know so you could have the exact same platform as me but with a co-founder who networks better than i do guess which one's going to succeed his yes yeah so i think that's something as well that networking is something that comes up a lot mm-hmm. that people maybe don't feel comfortable with and i think a big part of that is the word networking seems to have a lot of pressure on it 
Whereas if you just say like speak to somebody, it doesn't sound anywhere near yeah, as scary. Yeah, true. So I think a part of that is just what you're accustomed to, like you say, force yourself to go to the event. I think each time you do it, it becomes it's just getting used to a new environment, isn't it? And then it gets to the point where you're not forcing yourself yeah. and it becomes natural. Yeah, exactly. Because I think there's a lot of the minute about um being kind to yourself and self-love and self-care and all of this. And I think sometimes we can mistake that for not doing things that actually that feel uncomfortable, but in some senses you need to do those things that feel uncomfortable because that's how you grow. So I think that's that's an important point to pick up on. 100%. Just because it scares you doesn't always mean it scares you for, you know, a sense that you shouldn't, shouldn't do it. Yeah. I know that we say it's like our body's way of telling us, like, you know, danger. Mm-hmm. But actually, I think in this day and age, we need to run towards it rather than away from it. Definitely, definitely. And there's one thing that we will start to wrap up soon, but there's one thing I kind of want to touch on, mm-hmm. which is your fitness mm-hmm. side. And maybe you can tell the guys about your bodybuilding mm-hmm. and what you've been doing. But I'd be interested to see how you think that fits in, if you think it fits in at all, if you think it has any impact on your business, the way that you run it, mm-hmm. and the way that you are as a person, mm-hmm. or if it's something that's just a hobby that's completely separate. No, I'm glad you asked because I couldn't. I am such a big advocate of fitness not just because of its actual health benefits so it's you know uh, social benefits or whatever it is but purely because of what it feeds into the rest of your life so i had so i started by and everyone's got their own reason for fitness right um mine started because i was too skinny to play rugby at school i wanted to get bigger for that before you knew it i actually dropped out of the rugby team at university to focus on the bodybuilding so the irony about that right is that um uh so yeah and then i decided again i like a competition i like com- competitive aspects of pretty much whatever i i can do just be- not not because i got have just a burning desire to go against people and win anything necessarily but healthy competition is just good it, it's just good pushes you, yeah it pushes you and it gets you out of bed in the morning so um so yeah, I went into doing my first physique competition. It didn't go particularly well, but it was quite nice and cool to kind of be up there. Um, and from there, it kind of just spurred on. I had a couple of years where I didn't do it. Um, and then I jumped back into it. Did quite well last year. I competed in PCA, which there's a lot of federations for it, but PCA is a pretty good federation. Got to the British finals. Um, so... What do I think about fitness as a whole? I mean, my, mine may well be a bit too extreme because if I'm trying to compete, it does detract from other things because, simply put, I'm doing an hour and 45 minutes of cardio and doing about an hour's workout in the gym. So before you know it, that's two hours 45 out of your day that's gone, right? So that's a bit extreme. But on the lower end of the spectrum, what do I think it does? I mean, I know when I'm working out regularly – it makes me add structure to my day, especially as an entrepreneur. That's useful and handy. Yeah. Um, the endorphins, it's a nice break from for your head, from all of the things that, you know, I can't meditate, for example. I've tried it. But my mind goes at a million miles an hour. The only time I'm free of the burdens of a startup is when I'm in the gym. Yeah. So it's a nice respite in that respect. The endorphins, I am a better worker. I'm a better 
you know, boyfriend, I'm a better friend, I'm a better son. I really am in yeah. all aspects. And so I just think it's not, it's tricky because it's not for everyone. Yes, I love the gym and I enjoy my time in there and some people hate it. But not everybody, you don't start love it, start out loving the gym, right? You don't start out loving your body. Everything like startups, like everything, you've got to start taking that first step and you've just got to be determined and persistent if you want to see any change or whatever it is. So if you not so if that change is not just to get a good beach body, but to get to a point where you enjoy the gym, even that's gonna take work. Yeah. So, you know, my advice is just that it feeds into that resilience point as well, because you know I know that a body has taken me seven years to make. So guess what? If a good business takes me seven years to make, I know that I've got it in me to push myself to do that. So I think yeah. that's kind of how I think that the two are very, very tightly interlinked, to be honest with you. Definitely. And everyone who listens to this will know that I regularly sort of preach that. So it's nice to have somebody else come yeah. in and unbiased, I didn't make him say any of that, <laughs> um, push that stuff out. And I think it's a strong point to list to focus on, aside from the bodybuilding, which obviously is something that takes a new level of commitment and is not for everyone mm. but what you've said about the mental benefits in terms of endorphins but also I think there's a level of like discipline that you learn from that and from training even if you're not doing it to that level having a structure of every day you go and you give your body this time is a level of discipline that then feeds into your other business um, so for anyone who is freelance and or entrepreneurial I think it is something that's starting to become more common that you see that those people are into mm. fitness scene in some way, in whatever mm. way suits them. Um, because, it, it, yeah, it gives you this structure. And also I think it's like a positive feedback loop in terms of strength that you do something, you run for longer than you did before, you lift a heavier weight than you did yesterday. Yeah. You gain a new sort of trust in yourself. It's, yeah. it's empowering. And that gives you the confidence that you need to break into the business world yeah. in whatever you're doing. I think, I think that's actually touched on a good point I didn't say, which I've, I've when I've described it to say my mum or something, yeah, a lot of people ask me, why do you do it? It's really crazy or something like that. I tell you why. And the other thing is sometimes some of your stuff in your startup or in your business world might be going against you. And sometimes it's out of your control, right? You might not get that promotion that you wanted. You may feel like business-wise you're moving backwards or – your startup may just simply fizzle out and fail, Pure, not through no fault of your own. Things were wrong. That might move backwards. In the fitness world, it's only on you. Simply put, progress is only on you. So as long as you decide you want to and you want it hard enough, at least in one space of your life, you are always moving forward. And I think that's quite nice when, yes, it's great when everything's moving forward, everything it feels like this crazy momentum feedback loop, like you said, and you're just like, there's nothing that can stop you. But just as important is when things aren't going great for you, you know, relationships and stuff like that. Like I said, it is just that one thing that is it totally in your control. Yeah. I think that's a really, really good point. It's, it's about self-worth almost, mm. that when we all have hard times and when everything is going down or going wrong, if you have fitness in your life, it's, it's almost, that's why so many people talk about it as therapy and obviously there's different ways to look at that, but there's always something that you are in control of and then feeling in control gives us, you know, confidence and, yeah, power. 
and reduces like those negative feelings of being lost or whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, last question. I think you've pretty much answered it in the one about your career lesson, but it is your take on the growth factor, which is the branded term for that mindset hack, practice, personality trait, mm-hmm. whatever it is to you that you think makes the difference between staying as we are or getting to that place that we want to be where we've achieved mm-hmm. our goals. It would be, again, yeah, it's resilience. And the reason is, you know, like I said, nobody's path is a straight line, right? It's no one's graph looks like boom, right? Just sorry, you know, it's obviously radio, it's a radio <laughs> sort of voice, but yeah, you no one has just this perfect straight line graph upwards, right? Uh, and because of that, if you're the type of person that when you do get knocked and things start turning downwards, you're the type of person that keeps grafting and pushes it and, and keeps moving forward, you're going to be so much better off um, than that person who kind of takes that hit and doesn't recover from it. So resilience, definitely. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a very good one. All righty. Well, can you tell people where they can either find you personally mm-hmm. if they have any if you want anyone to get in touch or double tap, can yeah. people start using the app? Yes. Yeah, so look, double tap, we're actually back in development mode. So we're trying to really fine tune the product. What we're going to be doing is a re-release in probably end of February uh, and pushing very hard to start with around on the big student cities around the UK. Um, but you can find us on the app store, double tap. Um, and then our website is www.double-tap and tap is with a double P tap.co.uk I'll put it in the show notes yeah, <laughs> perfect thank you very much alright thank you so much no worries cheers